0: Three Circle Church, we are going to continue our series today, Thriving in Babylon. We don't want to just survive. We want to thrive. We believe God has called us to do that. You're waking up in a world you don't recognize. You may even say phrases like, I don't don't know how this is going to be for my kids and my grandkids to grow up in a world like this. But I want you to know we can stop talking like that because we have hope that God is in control and we have hope that God has a purpose for everything he's doing. And we get to see in the lives of guys like Daniel and his friends that we're looking at throughout this series that we can wake up in a world like this, our own version of Babylon, and actually be faithful and actually see God at work. And so what we're doing is we're looking into this story to see what is God telling us? Why is it in the Bible? Not just so we know it happened that the people of Israel were taken into exile for 70 years, but why did it happen? And what was God doing? Well, the Bible tells us those things. And so today, as we did last week, if you remember last week, we looked at one of the attributes of God that we see floats to the surface in this story. And it's this. Last week, we looked at the sovereignty of God. And we said God is sovereign over all things. Remember the phrase we got? There's no maverick molecules, meaning that there is nothing outside of God's power. Well, today we're going to look at another one of his attributes, if you will, or at least a product of his attribute, because God is our father, and he was the father of the people of Israel. And that means this, you want to write it down, God disciplines his children. And this is a big, big subject matter that we need to look at today. Last week, I told you with the sovereignty of God, I said, I'm going to hopefully teach you that God is sovereign, but I don't want you to just leave church saying, okay, I get it. God's in control of everything. I want you to leave being happy about it. Last week, I wanted you to be happy about the sovereignty of God. This is going to be even trickier today. I want you to leave happy that God is your father and happy that he disciplines you. Now that's tough because, well, who's happy about discipline, right? But I want you to be, I want you to be glad about it. I don't know how this has worked for you, but I I have three kids and, and especially when they were younger and small and you're disciplining your children, I never had one of my children interrupt me in the middle of the speech I was giving them, correcting them, knowing that the impending, uh, you know, action was going to be taken, whether that was taking away privileges or whatever that was going to be grounding, whatever. I've never had one of my kids stop me and go, dad, dad, if you don't mind, I just want to tell you in the middle of this, how grateful I am for what you're doing in my life right now. I, I, know this, I know this has taken time and energy from you. I know that what I have done has caused strain and stress on the family. And, and again, I, I know that this is gonna pay off in the future. What you're doing right now is molding me for the future. And I just wanna thank you for your discipline in my life. Has that ever happened for any of you? Any hands raised right now? No, it had not happened, has it? They're not happy, they don't like it. And you didn't like it either when you were a kid if you received discipline. So it's a little tricky. But what I hope is that we can be mature enough, every one of us today, to leave going, I'm really glad he's my father. And if I think about it, I'm really glad he disciplines me as well because he loves me. So let's look at that today. Now, the book of Jeremiah gives us what we call a road map for how we're supposed to live when we get in Babylon. And you're there, by the way. You're in a world that feels like it's going a billion directions. What do we do as Christians? Do we get mad? Do we get bitter? Do we run and hide? No, none of those things. We get a roadmap here, but inside the roadmap, God gives his people, us and Israel. He also reminds us that he's doing something. This wasn't an accident. Remember we learned last week, God has never said, my bad. He's never said, whoops. I had a kid write that down and give it to me on a sheet of paper last week. This this mom said, you need to know what my kid got out of today and it said on there, God never says oops. That's good for us to be reminded of. But that means he disciplines us as well and he's he's gonna fully own the fact that he is the one behind the Babylonian exile. So let's go. Jeremiah 29, it says this. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. Watch this. To all the exiles... Whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. He did it. And here's what he tells them to do when they get to Babylon. Verse five, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons. Give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there. Do not decrease. Seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare you will find your welfare. All right. Well, now that is a different way of looking at it, isn't it? He does not tell them to go on the Babylonian Facebook account and blast King Nebuchadnezzar every day. That was funnier in my mind before I said. I thought that would have hit <laughs> real good. Maybe it's because a lot of you are on Facebook. Blast anyway. I'll just leave that alone. Uh, it's convicting rather than funny. Uh, anyway, he does not say to do that. He does not say to hide. And just go and have your little Christian circle and, well, hope it all works out. We're going to be in here singing kumbaya to one another. Now, he doesn't say to do that. He says, no, you get out there and you live in front of those Babylonians. You let them see what a marriage looks like. You let them see what a culture that actually loves children. See that, raise your sons and daughters. You know, in Babylon, they had sacrificed kids to their false gods. They didn't care about life. They didn't care about women. Women were treated horrifically in Babylon. And here God says, you build houses and you teach them what a family looks like, what a wedding looks like, what a marriage looks like, what it looks like to love your kids and raise your kids and then love your grandkids. and raise them. God says you live in front of the Babylonians. What a call. And so, so what I see here is the roadmap for believers living in Babylon like we are today is one of hope. Not defeat. One of light. We're supposed to be shining light. And mission. We have a podcast that drops midweek every week. You should go check the one out from a couple of weeks ago. We had Pastor, one of our teaching pastors and elders, Russell Krill on there. And he said something that literally blew me out of my seat. He said, when we are called to shine light, God's light he wants us to shine is not supposed to blind people. It's supposed to show them the way. I thought, yes, that's it. We're not arrogantly just, just shining a look how great we are. We're going, no, no, let me show you who our God is. Let me show you the better way. That is a different way. But make no mistake, inside of that roadmap, God says, I'm the one doing this. And there it is. There is a father who's not just our buddy, not our heavenly BFF, but our father. And a father disciplines. Look at Jeremiah 29, 10 through 13. Thus says the Lord, watch this. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you. I will fulfill to you my promise. I'll bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. In those verses, we just got taught something by God himself about his discipline. And that's what we're gonna spend the rest of our time together today learning. Because let's just say that today, let's just say you were a child. Some of you are children. If you're not a child, imagine that you are again. And imagine that you were an orphan and you got adopted. You've not met your parents yet. And they show up and you're wondering to yourself, okay, this is my new family. What kind of mom and dad do I have? And here comes the dad. And you're thinking, I wonder what kind of dad he is. I wonder what makes him mad. I wonder, what does he laugh at? I wonder, does he like to have fun? I wonder what's going to happen here. So The Bible doesn't leave you hanging because when you became a Christian through the gospel in Jesus Christ, you got a daddy, okay? You got a new father. He's your father now. You're his child. And the question arises, okay, if he's my father, what kind of father is he? And we're gonna learn about that today. Because what we just read, God himself says, I want you to understand if you're my child, here's how I work. God's discipline has a purpose, a method, and a timetable. Listen to what he says to his people. First of all, he says, I am the one doing this and it's for this purpose so that you will call upon me so that you'll stop going to false gods so that you will pray to me. You see the purpose in it? It wasn't just to have fun and show that he was strong. Israel had went towards false gods. He says, when this 70 years is done, you're gonna seek me and you're gonna find me. You're gonna seek me with all your heart. He had a point, a purpose. He also had a method. Now, I don't know what your disciplinary methods are. Things change over time. Today, the methods often are like time out, grounding, taking away privileges. You, can't, you can watch your iPad only for seven hours today, not 12, whatever. When I was a kid, it was a little different. In my family, discipline had a, I don't know, a personal touch to it. <laughs> my grandmother uh, flip, flip-flop worked good a couple times. Did it, it hit its mark uh, one time, a gumbo spoon that still had gumbo on it. That's a true story. It's a famous family story. I walked by the stove, a little grease was on there, pot of gumbo and some things frying, grease hit my hand, and I said something. Now, I did not say what she believed I said. My sweet little nanny thought that I had used a curse word in her kitchen, and I had not. I just used a word that meant that hurt. And the next thing I knew, I had gumbo running down the side of my head because of gumbo spoon. Whack. All right. And, uh, by the way, I deserved it. It was good. It was corrective. I don't know what your methods are, but we get to see how God disciplines and his method is when he is disciplining his nation, it's got to be big because it's a whole nation. He allowed the Babylonians, this horrible nation to take them over. And the Babylonians were so arrogant, they didn't realize all they were. They were a wrench in the hands of God. They were a tool. He used them like a tool. When he was done with them, he threw them down. And that's what happened. Babylon will be destroyed when God's ready for them to be. He is in complete control. But lastly, I want you to notice God's discipline has a timetable. It's not unending. He says, how long is it going to take for Israel? 70 years. He says, it's going to take 70 years. For me to work this out of you. And in 70 years, as a nation, you will be calling on me again. We're going to bring you back. That's what this is all about. I'm still your father. I'm working. I'm doing something here. In the same way you wouldn't tell your kid, now you go to your room and I'll see you in eight months. No, no. There's a timetable to the discipline of God. Now, Habakkuk, there's this little book in in your Old Testament called Habakkuk. You could read it in no time. Go read it. And what Habakkuk is, this prophet is seeing all this happen with the Babylonian exile and he doesn't understand. How many of you have ever looked at your own life and wanted to look at God and go, why is this happening? Have you ever had that moment where you didn't understand what God was up to? Of course, we all have. Well, Habakkuk sees that in the Babylonian exile and he says to God, why are you letting this happen? And God answers him. It's right there in the book. And when God answers Habakkuk, this young prophet moves from being Upset over what God's doing to being thankful for it. By the end of that little book, Habakkuk is going, oh my goodness, I see what you're up to. I see why you're doing this. And what I tried to do here, I want you to go read the whole book if you get a chance. But I gave you just a little snippet. So what I'm gonna give you is God's answer to Habakkuk's question of why are you doing this. And then I want you to see how Habakkuk's tone changed. So in verses five through six, here's God. He says, Look among the nations, Habakkuk, and see, wonder, and be astounded. For I am doing a work. See, discipline is work. I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if I told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that's the Babylonians, that bitter and hasty nation who marched through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. Okay, pause button, everybody. So God says, it's me. I'm doing this, Habakkuk. I'm raising them up because I'm doing something. This isn't random. They're a tool in my hand. I'm doing a work. And he tells Habakkuk, he says, I could tell you the whole story, but it, like you wouldn't understand it. It's too big. I mean he could have gone into the fact that, well, if I don't discipline them now, the whole nation won't survive. And 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 this nation's gotta survive because out of this nation's gonna come the Messiah. And the Messiah is gonna come and he's gonna, there's this other empire that's coming called the Romans. You don't know about them yet. They're coming and they're gonna hang him on a cross. You don't know about that yet either because crucifixion hasn't been invented yet, Habakkuk, but it's coming. And and he's three days later gonna rise from the grave. And you don't know this, but like. A couple thousand years from now in a church in Fairhope, Alabama, a guy's going to be preaching about you. This little, this little conversation we're having, that'll blow your mind, Habakkuk. So here's what I'm going to tell you. Trust me. Just trust me, bud. I'm doing something. Now, here's what every Christian in this room, we got to do. Sometimes you will not understand. And you're going to have to get to a point where you can look at the God of the universe and go, I trust you. you are, you're always in control and you're always doing a work in my life. So look how Habakkuk answers, verse 12. He says, oh, are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? Look at this, we shall not die. In other words, he goes, oh, it's discipline. We're not gonna die. O Lord, you have ordained them, the Babylonians, as a judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. So here's what happened. Habakkuk thinks everything's out of control. When he hears God remind him, Oh, buddy, I'm in control. I'm doing all this. I got this. Habakkuk goes, Oh. He worships him. Oh, God, you are God. And then he says, And I see it now. I see your hand. You ordained this. You're in control. And and that's all Habakkuk needed. So maybe that's all you needed today. Maybe some of you today needed to hear God has not forgotten you, and he's in control and he's doing something, and he's always doing something, and he's not done, he's not finished. Isn't that good news, church, today, to know that that's who he is? My church growing up, people would've got more excited than that. (laughs) So the Bible tells us, the Bible tells us in the New Testament more about the discipline of God. Remember, I'm trying to show you that God is in control of this thing, and he disciplines his children like any good daddy would, But Hebrews goes further. And what I want to do today is I want to read this astounding group of verses about the discipline of God. And and it's going to quote the Old Testament, by the way. This is a quotation. So the writer of Hebrews is going to quote the Old Testament. That interaction is so awesome. in teaching us about the discipline of God. And if you will, I've noticed seven things about God's discipline held within this treasure we're about to read, you may see more. As you read it, I just want you to breathe it in and see what the Bible's telling you about having God as a father and why we should be grateful for his discipline. Here we go, Hebrews 12, five through 11. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons, meaning children? In other words, do you not know you're, you're his kids? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves. He chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure, because God is treating you like sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you're left without discipline, in which we've all participated, then you're an illegitimate child. You're not sons. Besides this, we've had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father's spirits and live? For they, our earthly fathers, disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Okay, now this, this, is, this is only true if you're a child of God. This is a benefit of being a child of God. You got a dad, the best father, who loves you so much that he cares about you. And the first thing I see here is that God's discipline is parental, It's not disconnected. He is parenting us. And I'm so, I'm thankful for the people in my life that disciplined me, aren't you? I remember one of the pivotal moments in my life. I was about 12 and a half, about to be 13 that summer. And I I talked disrespectfully to my grandmother. I called her nanny. And, And it happened in front of, her friend, she had some friends over and I'd washed her car earlier that day. She hadn't paid me yet. And I walked in and I've always liked to have an audience. You know what I mean? And I had one that day. It was basically the Golden Girls. The Golden Girls had gotten together. It was my granny and her friends. Thank you for being a friend. You know, that whole thing's happening. So I roll in and I gave a little speech to my grandmother about how, hey, hey I've been waiting for days for this. Your car's clean, right? I think I said something like that. Your car's clean, right? Hello. You know what I mean? That whole thing. That, that did not go well. That wasn't a good thing. But she was like, fine. She went to her purse and gave me whatever money it was, and I left. And then my grandfather came home. And I remember he he went out to his barn, and and I didn't know, but this was going to be one of those moments that I needed. It was going to change my life. (laughs) So I always headed out to whatever barn he was at. We had several of them to see him. So I go out there, and I just notice immediately there's something different. Something different about Pop. I hadn't even thought about what happened between me and Nanny, earlier that day. And so I walk up to, him. I'll never forget he had a wrench in his hand. So he's working on something. And when I walked up, I said, Hey pop, not a word. And then he stands up and I thought, Whoa, this is different. This is unique. Cause my granddad loved me, but there was something different. And I remember he's tapping his hand with that wrench. <laughs> he got real close, real close. Eyeball, I bought, I was like, huh, I never noticed your eyes like this, pop, you know, in my mind. <laughs> and I'll never forget. He looked at me and it was very quick. It was exactly what a young man like me needed. He's tapping that wrench. The house is behind. He's looking across my shoulder, and his house is up on the hill where my grandmother is. And he said, you need to remember something. He said, she's your nanny, but you need to remember before she was your nanny, he pointed that wrench up to the house. He said, she was my wife. And he looked me in the eye, just tapping that hand again. He said, do you understand what I'm saying to you? And I said, yes, yes, sir. I can't even get it out. Yes, sir. And I was, I don't know, at that time, 12 and a half, probably about five, seven, five, eight. you know, starting to grow a little bit. But I left about two feet tall. I'm still telling you that story to this day because I'm grateful for it. I'm grateful that he loved me enough. And that man would have given his life for me 10 times on an afternoon That's how much he loved me but he also loved me enough to tap a wrench on his hand and look me in the eye and help me become a man. Does that make sense, church? Because he loved me. And that's what the Bible's trying to get us to understand is God's love for us disciplines us. It's parental, it's also corrective. God's discipline is corrective, never retributive. He does not pay us back. You're not being paid back. You can't can't pay what you're owed anyway. God's trying to correct you. It's never retributive. We see it right here in these verses. Thirdly, God's discipline is consistent, it's never random. How many of you have ever told your kids, if you do that, this is going to happen, and it didn't happen? Just be honest. You got tired, you forgot. Just be honest, parents. Come on, y'all. Stop lying today. Get with me here, all right? Everybody say, I'm not saying a word today. Yeah, we all have done that. Well, God's never done that. He keeps his promises. He's consistent. You can depend on God. He's not moody. He's not going to have a bad afternoon and watch out. You might get it. That's not happening. God is consistent with his uh, discipline. Fourthly, God is controlled in his discipline, never abusive. So you can never look at God and go, you went too far. Have you ever gotten mad at the house and and got too loud or whatever, and you had to look at your kids and go, my bad, I'm having a bad day. Any parents now, can we get a little honesty? I got, there they are, people that are honest. I've never done that, but I'm glad that some of you are admitting that you have. <laughs> God's never gonna have to look at you and go, my bad. He never is abusive, it's always controlled. God's discipline is right, it's never unjust. You will never look at God and say, hey, I didn't, I didn't deserve that. No, no, it's always perfect. He knows all things. So his discipline is perfect. It's always right. Number six, I see it right here in these verses. God's discipline is productive. That's what it says here. It says it's going to produce. It yields fruit. It's always productive. It's never wasteful. God never disciplines you that it doesn't move the needle in your life. It's why we should be thankful for it. And finally... God's discipline is significant, not meaningless. Meaning that, watch this. If you have the discipline of God in your life, it means you are his child. One time I was having a disciplinary moment with one of my children. And this son of mine pointed out to me this friend of his. Indignantly, he stomped his foot. He said, well, this friend of mine gets to do whatever he wants. He never never has to deal with this. He never gets told anything. He'd stay up all night if he wants to. Never has his own word done. And he just gets whatever he wants, does whatever he wants. And my son didn't know that I knew a little bit about the situation for that child he was comparing his life to. So I looked at my son and I said, you want to know why your friend gets to do whatever he wants? Because he doesn't have a daddy who loves him. That's why. And then I leaned down and I said, but You do. Get in that room. (laughs) He was not thankful in the moment. But I think one day he will be. Folks, the Bible's trying to get you to see that God is your father, so he will discipline you. So be thankful for it. Receive it. And he's warning you. Look what it says. It says, don't be discouraged. It says, don't grow weary when he disciplines you. Don't let it discourage you. It means you belong to him. He cares about you. You matter to him. And he disciplines us. And as he disciplines us, it helps us shine brighter. And let me tell you, in a world where we as Christians rightfully want to tell the world, we're pro-life. Well, pro-life means, you can't just be against stuff. You got to be for some stuff. And I want to be known for what we're for more than what we're against. Amen. And so there's a bunch of opportunities, but today is another one for you to be able to say, not only do we not want lives taken, we want lives to thrive. And it's why we're willing to sponsor a child somewhere in this world. That's why we do compassion, so we can shine light and we belong to our heavenly father who disciplines us. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you. I pray today that we will not only... Know that you discipline us, but be glad for it and that that would change our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.